Greetings, dear listeners. This week, we invited Michael Ware, President Obama's Faith Outreach Director for the 2012 election, and the New York Times' Jane Koston, who hosts the podcast The Argument, to talk about abortion and whether any grand political compromise is possible. Shadi will introduce the specifics when we get going, but I just wanted to say in this introduction that this was a really compelling and enlightening episode. As the conversation goes on, we press Michael and Jane about the roots of their convictions, historical precedents for judicial activism, and whether progress requires state intervention for it to be realized. We hope you get as much out of this conversation as we did. On to the show. So yeah. like, right. <laughs> okay, well, well, first of all, I'll just say I'm really excited about this because I don't know what to expect. And um, we've, we've only rarely had two outside guests before. I think we've only done it twice. And this is the first time ever in Wisdom of Crowds history that we have two outside guests who may or may not disagree with each other significantly. And I actually don't know how much disagreement there is. And that makes an episode like this, I think a lot of fun that we're going to find out and see what happens. And we are talking about um, a pretty intense, sensitive topic, um, the future of abortion politics in the US, um, what happens after the Dobbs ruling, which has consumed American public debate mm. in recent weeks. Um, Michael, we wanted to have you on because you wrote a really interesting piece on your Substack, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes. And I won't try to summarize it. Um, but I, I guess I could say that you tried to offer up a grand compromise. It was a very ambitious piece where you basically were attempting to resolve the abortion problem for America's future and to find the compromise that could potentially bring folks from both sides. And then we also have, uh, and I should say, Michael, and um, that you come from a very interesting perspective because you were Obama's faith outreach director in the 2012 election. So you are a loyal Democrat, but also, I suppose, an evangelical of some sort. But yeah, you can maybe sure. tell us more about that in a moment. And we also have Jane Koston of the New York Times. And part of why we wanted to have both of you on is because you guys had an exchange on Twitter about your article. And I think Jane had some concerns about whether or not your grand compromise was feasible. But before we get into all that, maybe just lay out for listeners um, the case that you're trying to make. Yeah. So, right. So part, part of the reason why you write something like that is... Uh, because it's it's not sort of uh, the the most likely course of action, you know. Like the the piece is in response to a, a few kind of facts as I take them. One that Dobbs uh, uh, introduced a heightened level of precarity uh, for both sides of the debate at the same time, and that uh, sort of where we go from here the the scope of potential pathways is as wide as it's ever been like the worst case scenario for 
just politically speaking, sort of the pro-life camp and the pro-choice camp are like on, on the table now when, that, when both haven't been on the table and, and arguably in the same way in arguably 50 years. It's also responsive to the, what I saw as a real imbalance between Democrats' rhetoric following Dobbs and what they were actually putting on the table. And we could talk about that more. Uh, and then finally, it's responsive to the fact that, you know, the Dobbs opinion uh, explicitly cites this idea that I think is correct, which is that, uh, I mean, I just think it's factual that Roe took this debate out of the hands of the legislature and sort of democratic debate and sort of uh, intervened uh, uh, before that debate could could fully take place and before a democratic decision could could be made. And so it was interesting seeing the responses after Dobbs. It was like, what executive actions are on the table and how might the courts, you know, state courts step in. Uh, and so after 50 years of sort of the uh, uh, federal legislation being mostly off the table, uh, uh, after Dobbs, we, you know, most of the political chatter was uh, legisl legislation was off the table. So what I, what I tried to do is really basically a thought experiment, which is to reassess what the post-Dobbs landscape looks like and put a number of levers that have long been on the table but might be um, uh, one or both sides may be more open to using them than they had been in the past or uh, measures that weren't previously on the table. And so it looks like setting a, f a floor uh, of uh, abortion rights nationally well, let me let me say one thing before I sort of um, this is not my ideal policy plan. That's not what that's not what this is. Uh, this is a thought experiment about what might possibly a uh, be able to achieve through some sense of, of rational engagement, uh, 60 votes in the Senate or at least a majority in the Senate and, and have a majority vote in the Senate uh, and then be something that. Uh, has a potential to move the abortion debate off of the front burner of our politics. So, so that's a caveat. This is not sort of my ideal policy plan, but a thought experiment about what the post-Dobbs landscape makes possible. And so the, what it looks like, uh, and these are sort of, you don't need to take all of the sort of uh, options, but, but what I lay out is uh, a floor for abortion rights. Uh, so that would mean overturning uh, state laws that uh, uh, that ban abortion uh, uh, at a week limit before what the floor would be uh, a, uh, a post viability abortion uh, abortion ban so that would overturn I think it's six states that allow abortion post viability and just so listeners understand yeah, sure. post viability means what in practice well so so or what's the range let's say so typically it means after 24 weeks there was a there was a vote uh, on a 20-week ban that I believe Bobby Bob Casey voted for maybe a couple other Senate Democrats voted for some pro-lifers suggest that 22 weeks is is more of a, a, a based on sort of modern science and, and health that 22 weeks is is a better viability guideline but but you know post viability and, and then you know the, the legislative process you know would would work out what what that is but that's a a, a ban that would rein in the the six or so progressive states that that allow uh, abortion beyond that uh, 
hide, so banning, uh, 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 codifying hide. I think a lot of people think hide is like a it is a law, but the hide acts as a as a rider. So hide has to for keep on men, being approved. For the layman, what um, hide basically the hide basically would... for, for hide needs to be included in new spending measures for hide to apply. Um, uh, and so, the, the, when people talk about repealing hide, what they what they mean is. Uh, basically, not not renewing Hyde or stripping Hyde off of off and, of and Hyde is using measures. federal funds for federal abortions. funds for abortion. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. That's right. Um, and there are, there are depending on the iteration of Hyde, there have been exceptions so that federal funds can be used in certain cases. But but yeah, basically, uh, so uh, Hyde conscience clause protections, which have long been uh, 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 an issue of debate, particularly in the road landscape, conscience protections were a, 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 a signature issue for pro-life community. And then there was some kind of additional contraception mandate for the pro-choice side, you know, so Cory Gardner infamously in his Senate race put over-the-counter contraception on the table as a counter to Mark Udall sort of uh, uh, attacking him for his stance on the HHS contraception mandate. Uh, is there a package where, uh, uh, you know, some uh, increased or eased contraception access is valuable in the post-Dobbs landscape? I think there are other sort of levers, pregnancy discrimination, kind of more, more aggressively prosecuting that and, and having stronger laws around that. But, but that's the basic concept. It, and, and the... We, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but, but the basic idea is um, uh, in order to uh, both sides, I think, understand, uh, and I hate using both sides language, but you, you uh, sort of pro-choice yeah. pro advocates and pro-life advocates, uh, I think, understand that this can, uh, that we are now in a potentially a zero-sum sort of situation. And so, do you do you try and corral that so that the, sort of the the range of possibilities in the post Dobbs landscape on a national level are not zero sum, but do you sort of put put uh, sort of boundaries on what what can happen at the state level going forward? You also just to, to clarify, you did say also a ceiling, right? So so it's That's both right. a, a floor and a ceiling. In That's a right. sense, I just want to drive this home because one of the things that, that struck me about your piece is both sides lose ultimately. And the zero yes. something, the goal is to make all like both sides ultimately have to concede their most pure points. I, yeah. That was, I think, the the logic behind your piece, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. And I just to right. clarify, you do say in your piece about an eight to fifteen week range. Yeah. So, do you say about like what that range actually? Did you said earlier that post viability is usually seen as somewhere around twenty to twenty two to twenty five weeks? What would eight to fifteen weeks be? Yeah, so uh, that at 15 would go a, a, a couple weeks beyond the first trimester. I have to say, like, right, so I think so in, order, the in, so, order, in hmm. order to get more than the votes of Susan Collins and Murkowski, you're looking at an eight-week floor or maybe a 10-week floor. Um, f 15, so uh, something like, and forgive me, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, but the vast, vast majority of abortions take place in the first trimester. And so it's, this, this is why, like it's a, um, so, so what you'd be, what you'd be um, uh, 
So this is one reason why there is a stronger rationale, I think, for Democrats. So, so it, let's say that this happened. This would be something like uh, uh, all every single Senate Democrat saying we're, we in order to uh, it, these would be their words in order to protect women in Alabama and Mississippi uh, uh, and Louisiana and Texas, we're we're willing to accept limits that we hadn't been willing to accept before because outside of that and you know legislating through the courts uh uh there's no other plan to to have in-state access so that would be the rationale and then on the republican side you'd have collins murkowski and uh there are at least 10 republican senators who represent states that um that uh allow that have 15 week or higher uh uh, uh laws ex that allow abortion up okay, to 15 weeks or further. Okay, so to be, so to be or, clear or, or then, you're, you're basically calling for um, a yeah, congressional... Yeah, just want to be clear, I'm not calling. No, no, what <laughs> yeah, you're proposing yeah, yeah. is uh, a yeah. thought experiment. Yeah, so right. this is a congressional compromise where um, abortion would be legalized until around 15 weeks. That's more or less what you're talking about here. I, I think it would be from... Uh, so I... I I have real doubts that 15 could pass in the Senate as currently constituted. I mean, so right. So uh, I have doubts about any of this actually becoming law. But I, the the lower you make the limit, the floor, the more likely, um, the more likely that you'll get Republicans like Pat Toomey uh, to, yeah, yeah. to consider something like this. So, Jane, why is this not going to work? Because it's just not going to work. I, I want to back up a little bit because I think it's worth getting at. Uh, you made the point that most abortions in America take place within those 15 weeks. But for and for many people, even just that is anathema. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize. I, th I, I agree in some ways that Roe in some um, acted as a mute in some ways on having this conversation, having this debate in a more democratic means. Um, I also think that Roe itself acted as a compromise. The compromise was Roe. Um, it did, you know, states did have trigger laws. States did have limitations and waiting periods and ultrasound laws. States did create numerous hindrances to abortion. And some states did that and some states did, but like that was the comp, we were existing in the compromise state already before Dobbs, it was harder than it had been previously for women to get an abortion or um, you know we heard about folks having the travel before this happened and so I think like the compromised state we were kind of existing in and for many people they were already deeply unhappy with it because I think that it's also worth getting at that I think that there is, I mean, every community has how they talk to people outside of that community and how people talk about that these issues inside the community <clears throat> and i think that for folks who oppose abortion the idea is that abortion will be abolished abortion there will be no more abortions not at all and i think that now you're at a point in which i do not see what their motivation is to compromise um i grew up in um catholic and evangelical circles um uh, which is a strange thing to say because my parents are both like super liberal Catholics of the Dorothy Day model. Um, and uh, and yet, you know, 
I believe my effort to rebel against them was to like hang out a lot on the evangelical internet. Do not recommend bad times. Um, but I think that when, you know, I, I told this, I had an email exchange with National Review's Kevin Williamson, and I wrote about this for the Times, that, like, when you are telling the outside world that, oh, all we want are, you know, European abortion laws. And I think we saw a bunch of those memes going across about, like, how Europe has, you know, way stricter abortion laws than we do. And, like, one, eh, that's not true. Um, because of the Hyde Amendment, because of, you know, what our healthcare system looks like, it's just not that. Also, that if you told Students for Life, like, you said, you know, we wanted to abolish abortion, but now you're getting French abortion law, you're not going to be happy with it. I do not think that if you believe that abortion is murder, it does not get less murdery at 14 weeks or 12 weeks or even six weeks. Um, if you believe that it is murder the moment a fetus is conceived, it doesn't get less so at a certain point. And so I think that the challenge to a compromise is that there needs to be motivations to compromise. Um, and I think that for, you know, there would need to be, I'm reminded actually, and this is a example that I'm sure people who oppose abortion would be very supportive of, but people who are supportive of abortion rights would hate. But I I've been rewatching um, Ken Burns's The Civil War, um, which is a normal thing people do. <laughs> and I'm, I, I keep thinking about how um, there was, you know, in that, um, in that documentary, there's the late historian Shelby Foote, and he keeps talking about how, you know, de the democratic process failed because there was no ability to compromise. And I said out loud to my spouse, compromise on what? Like, if you know the and you saw this um with both uh england france and russia weirdly enough we're thinking like okay we need to get involved we need to get negotiate we need an armistice and we need to negotiate some sort of settlement between the two between the north and south and if you believe that abortion is murder as many people do and then i don't really see what the compromise is on that unless you are intent and you are arguing externally i think that there are lots of people who would say mm. that, like we'll be fine with a 15-week ban but they are not in fact fine with a 15-week ban they actually mm. believe that abortion is murder and they are telling you what you believe they believe that you and the american public want to hear the polling on these issues is not ne i mean abortion polling is incredibly complicated and i think that it provides so much material for all sides of this debate while pr yeah. while more, more showing that Americans are complicated people. Um, and we see repeatedly that there are instances in which people are like, well, I'm okay with this happening, but not in this, and hypotheticals get involved. But I, you know, if you read a lot of folks who oppose abortion, there's, it's not that they don't support no exceptions in the case of rape and incest, it's that they know that that polls badly. It is an entirely, um, I think, straightforward ideological project to believe that abortion is murder full stop and that all abortions should be abolished it is just politically unfeasible but that does not mean that people who believe that are going to stop believing that or stop attempting to make that reality in the states in which they have power and now that this issue has returned to the states where i i keep being you know i um had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with David French in which he was like, you know, I think that this will really cool down the conversation. And I'm like, yes, state laws where things get chill. Yeah, right. We yeah. all calm down and take a break. And then we all look at Alabama's abortion laws. Um, 
I, I also want to say that one of the things here, and I, I keep emphasizing this point, is that the mute that Roe put on this debate on the democratic level, a debate that other countries had, like France had this debate somewhat in the late 1960s. The 68ers had this whole conversation. Simone de Beauvoir put, you know, while she was also supporting the rights of adults to have sex with children, she also was talking about abortion rights. Like, this, these debates have been happening in other countries. We've seen recently in Mexico um, and in El Salvador, these conversations happening. But I also think that the, the benefit, well, it's not, no longer a benefit of Roe, is that it permitted everyone involved a type of maximalism. Because anything is possible when nothing is going to change. <laughs> and so the people who had roughly 50 years to argue and argue uh, through the courts, argue through church culture such as it exists, argue in, uh, in any other means that abortion is always murder, well, you know, now you, are, you need to answer a lot of questions. If abortion is murder, what should be the punishment for a woman who has an abortion? If abortion is murder, why would 15 weeks be okay? Like, like 14 weeks, oh, like it's very different for some reason. And so I think that that type of maximalism is a privilege that I think that specifically folks who oppose abortion have now lost. Mm. And I think the challenge with your compromise idea is that it is not like this is not an issue in which you can just add the add the two and divide by two and then you're done this is an issue in which you are going to have a host of people who have very you know who believe that abortion is murder they have voted as if abortion is murder they have voted for people who also said abortion was murder now were they saying that in the same way that you're gonna like promise your sixth grade class a pizza party yes probably but now that they are going to be held to those votes and, you know, if you're a Democrat, and especially because uh, just as we've seen um, the loss of anti-abortion or anti-pro-choice uh, Republicans, we've seen the loss of, in general, of anti-abortion Democrats, what on earth is their motivation to compromise on these specific issues? Especially because every single, like when, when you're talking about like post-viability abortions, I can think of at least two friends of mine who have had to make that horrifying decision and did not want to. And that was something that I would sooner like lie down in front of a bus than get like the state involved in those concerns. And I, I, I think that abortion, and I'm, I, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation, but I think that the challenge here is that there are people for whom abortion is an issue and there are people mm. for whom abortion is a detail or a facet or this a moment of their lives in which something changed very profoundly or in some for some people it stopped some uh, a part of their life from changing profoundly and i think that to think about abortion in the way that we talk about so-called wedge issues hmm. is i think does a disservice to the actual conversation and so you know my response to you was essentially like if this were how politics works in like hypothetical world no a compromise you know you could imagine that because i'd say 70 percent of americans have kind of the weird you know they keep making the um like just awkward uncomfortable faces about the issue of abortion you know they kind of have that like i don't like it but i think it should be legal and specifically legal in these cases but i don't like it 
but if you bring up these other cases, then they're okay. Like it's it's complicated, and we've seen that reflected over the last couple of weeks. If they were in charge of our politics, well, our politics would be very different than it is now. But they are not, and be that maximalism has existed for long enough that now we have generations of politicians who are aware that yes, they might represent states that are you know that are you know more purple i would say on the issue of abortion yeah. but they were nominated but in primaries by people who are not yeah. and i think that the impetus towards compromise the drive towards compromise particularly when you are asking people to compromise on something that one they believe wholeheartedly but also they've had 50 years in which their belief has been supported and you know gently eased along and then saying like actually it's time for politics it's time for compromise i just i just don't see that happening i mean i I know that you are not actually i know that you don't think that this would actually pass but i think that moreover i think it's important to recognize on this specific issue that this is not a general political issue this is not the debt ceiling this is not keeping the government funded this is something that for many people um has been part of their lives and is front of mind and i think that we we need to recognize that compromise for many people will mean that you know you can compromise and feel like you've won but this would be a compromise in which everyone would hate it and think they lost right well before let me just say you know the the when shadi and i thought of having you both on the whole idea was we just like lay back and 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 let you guys go at it and and episode done so i mean i do want to let you know we have ideas too but we have ideas too (laughs) you know i i I, jane i just wanted to just sort of uh not really push but just sort of tease apart some things that then maybe makes engagement uh easier so we we sort of get on this um totally agree on the on the sort of what you know how how the the uh the stakes have risen on this i mean I, i think that's that's absolutely right and the fact that this has now become a question of competing rights is what really right. leads into this kind of thing. What I find compelling about Michael's thing is that is precisely what you find, and I think rightly so, the problem is you have to lose on rights, which is right. like a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and that's very politically difficult. My, my intuition is, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, is that, and I, I wrote like a, a short piece for the Wisdom of Crowds site on this, is that, that in fact, like the fact that now Republicans, the the dog has caught the car in a right, way. Right, which, which is something I keep saying. Like they're kind of fucked, though. Like it, I mean, I think I mean there's a reason why you are seeing a host of people in response to like so quote unquote edge cases, basically being like it didn't happen, and if it did happen, we're just going to move on quickly from it. But I do think like when you have an issue, which you have been saying like if you just keep voting, we'll get the judges and we'll do this thing. Yeah. And you do that for 50 years. And then you get the thing. There very much is a sense like this is the greatest accomplishment of the conservative movement. Yeah. Also, what do we do now? No, I, I get that. But so, you know, the, 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 the reason why I think they might kind of be fucked, which is and which is why I, I, I like Michael's argument on this, is that that as you were alluding to in all the polling, it's very complex. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 not clear. And in fact, one way we'll find out how clear it is, you know, Never mind the mechanics of Michael's grand pro- uh, compromise. It's more that even if you take that as some sort of let's let's be in fantasy land that it'll happen. I suspect that what he's getting at is well, where we'll get after like ten to fifteen years of horror, of just like really nasty ping ponging back and forth. And you're right, a bunch of Republicans have been elected at this point, have been elected by constituencies, been told pizza parties coming to kindergarten, we're going right. to deliver. 
And guess what? They're going to get slaughtered because someone more moderate will be able to actually capture that that silent, confused and sort of uneasy part. So my intuition on this is that why I like Michael's thing is that for everyone who feels that this is and I, this is going to sound really horrible, but like for everyone who feels that this is such a, you know, uh, like you said, it's it's not an issue like taxes. And I, I get it. I don't want to minimize it. But Michael's insight is like both sides need to lose. And that means like actually both sides need to relinquish this idea that this is a right. There is no right to life and there is no right to privacy ultimately is what it comes down to. Wow. And so, and so, I really am. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, but never if mind. If that happens, you know, if that happens, I am... Um, I didn't think that we could just imagine a brave new world in which that took place. I didn't know that was, if there, that's a possibility. I am happy to have, I just, that I think that you are not going to get a point. Like I, I keep, I, I'm aware that I just keep saying like they won't and no, they won't, yeah, but yeah. they won't and no, they yeah. won't. Yeah. So let me just one note on the policy side. And then I want to get to the politics uh, on the policy side. Uh, and obviously we can return to the policy, but uh, just to put a finer point on it, for, for Republicans, it is um, it is the, the dog who caught the car. It is, um, if, if they screw this up, you, this isn't something you revisit after, a, uh, after uh, the next election and say, oh, we're going to take it. No, if, if a Democratic consensus emerges that the post-Dobbs landscape is untenable, it's done. The pro-life movement is done. It's prohibition. You're not going back. And so the, the judgment would be, look, we could lock in the pro-life movement. We could lock in uh, limitations on abortion that six months ago couldn't imagine. We could lock in the idea that uh, while abortion may be legal, it is not something to to be uh, um, subsidized by the federal government. It's not something that we want more of, which is what subsidizing is for. Uh, it, we provide uh, a, a legal sphere of protection for those in society who don't want any part in abortion. It's not an abortion ban, but it's something. And Republicans leverage potentially if they if they win the midterms, then their political leverage will be higher. But I think historically speaking, uh, it's it's safe to bet like they're at the peak of their leverage now. Some of these states overrule the abortion bans. Uh, the state Supreme Courts read abortion rights into their state constitutions. If uh, if there are surprise elections in some of these state legislatures and all of a sudden Republicans are losing uh, leverage in places where they think that they'll be able to put in more ban, then all of a sudden you start to see the tide turn and Republicans have less, much less negotiating power. So, so th th that would be just to put a little more. Uh, I, I agree. It's not it's not going to convince uh, Susan B. An Susan B. Anthony List and Family Research Council are going to absolutely hate this <laughs> like that. Like they're going to absolutely hate it. And a lot and, of voters in primaries to and be a fair, lot right? of voters in primaries. And, and to be fair, I have <laughs> that's why I call this a thought experiment. I have serious reservations about in at, at this time, right after Dobbs uh, going straight to a uh, national legalization of abortion rights. I think there's an argument that, well, well actually, let's maybe society will find uh, that um, that's that's 
that's not the way we want to approach approach this problem. Maybe we'll see. I mean, we could get to that discussion. I do want to make some political points, which is regardless of whether this will pass, putting forward something like I lay out in the thought experiment uh, is undoubtedly better politics for Democrats. Undoubtedly. And, and the, the um, one way you could see this is it's been really interesting to see the almost reversion to I don't think it works anymore given where the party has moved, but the reversion to almost like 2006 style rhetoric about abortion rights. So lifting up extreme cases, uh, lifting up uh, 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 the right to privacy. Right to privacy has not been the central argument of the pro-choice advocacy community since 2014. That, that That has not been the focus. But all of a sudden it is again. Now the problem is, uh, uh, the Democratic Party has moved on from that rhetoric. So President Biden says uh, the day the Dobbs decision drops that uh, it was it was a uh, it was an awful decision because it upset the balance of Roe. Well, he th- that would be a legitimate argument for him to make had he not spent the last couple of years with his press office issuing statements about how they wanted to pass the Women's Health Protection Act, which would upset the balance of Roe. Uh, he previously, uh, uh, prior to the Democratic primary, he uh, he uh, made parallel. He, he said, I support Roe v. Wade because the government should not be imposing a view on the country on this issue. And he said, that's the same reason why I support the Hyde Amendment, to, because to have federal funding involved with the board. Well, wouldn't it have been something if on the day Dobbs dropped he could have said, look, I stood up to, extri- to the far left of my party and told them I would not reverse my position on Hyde for just this moment. So I could say that I held the line and I rejected the extremes and I'm standing up for Roe just as I stood up for Hyde and for those who didn't want their conscience violated by. Uh, but they, they can't do that. So this is an argument for Jane, though. Same sort of thing, right? That, that well, Republicans and Democrats have painted themselves into a corner. Well, so. Uh, so so right so if republicans were to put forward legislation right now that said um legalize abortion in cases of rape and incest uh and 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 life of the mother uh and uh maybe include uh pregnancy discrimination and maybe romney's you know child uh tax uh democrats would be completely undercut like completely undercut. But fortunately for Democrats, Republicans would literally never do that. Well, they would never do that, which is why Democrats should step in. <laughs> right. Which I, is I, why Democrats should step in and say, uh, actually, we're, we're not. Republicans are telling you we, we want a, a, a country that, uh, uh, that celebrates abortion. We want a, uh, uh, that we don't see any moral element to this issue. Uh, we are advancing. We'll fight about other issues later on, but this is a 75% bill to, to offer basic protections and make Republicans vote against it. Make Republicans vote against an eight. Now, the reason why Democrats won't do that is because they won't be able to use it as effectively in midterms. It'll be much harder to mobilize the public to legalize abortion up to 24 weeks if Democrats already uh, legalize it up to eight or 15. And that's that's the key reason why Democrats wouldn't advance legislation on the very cases that they're talking about. I mean, it's, it's... 
Joe Biden is not talking about uh, a 20 week abortions right now. He's talking about underage uh, and, and, and life of the mother. Well, uh, okay, well, well, then why don't you do something about that rather than Elizabeth Warren, who is supposedly laying out the roadmap for Democrats right now, uh, focusing on shutting down crisis pregnancy centers. That so, doesn't seem to be the most pressing pressing item so, post-Dobbs unless you're catering to advocacy groups so, and not the women you you say that you're fighting yeah, so, for. So on the, on the politics, it does seem to me to be self-evident that it's better to talk about abortion as safe, legal, and rare the way that the Clinton administration talked about in the 90s than to where we are now where more and more Democrats are talking about abortion as if it's a social good. And I think this is one of the key sticking points. And um, and I'd be curious, Jane, what you think about this. Um, is there anything inherently wrong about saying, yes, we're pro-choice, but we don't think abortion is a good thing from a moral perspective, and we shouldn't necessarily encourage it as a social good. Why can't we go back to some of that rhetoric that seemed to actually have the support of something resembling a consensus. And that was why that phrase safe, legal and rare became so common and relatively uncontroversial among Democrats at that point, because it did seem to be a middle ground. Um, you can stay pro-choice, but you don't celebrate abortion. And I'd just be curious why you think that's untenable right now. Well, I think that the challenge here is that we are not necessarily talking about Democrats writ large or even Republicans writ large. We are talking about the specific constituencies that are deeply enmeshed in this issue and also people who vote on this issue. And again, like that, you know, one of the great challenges of politics is that if people if the people who cared about the most about the issue were also reflective of how most people feel about the issue, our politics on most things would look very different. But I think that for many people, like let's let's go back to the early 1990s at the same at the same time that we're talking about safe, legal, and rare. We are seeing you know the murder of Dr. George Tiller. We're seeing like Operation Rescue, and we're seeing like what you know the they you know people who deeply uh, oppose abortion did not respond to safe legal and rare with huh okay that sounds they were like no, no no it's murder and you know if you go back to and i'm aware that like referencing extremist movements always gets people very annoyed but i think it, it's worth getting at like when you have an issue like this um if I'm allowed to bu absolutely butcher a Ronald Reagan quote, you have it a sense that extremism in defense of, in this case, life, as you see it, is no vice. And I think that what, you, what you're seeing now is that when, when Democrats said la safe, legal, and rare, Republicans responded with, let's make it increasingly more difficult to get an abortion. Let's make it so that the safety is kind of questionable, the legal is eh, a little dubious, and the rare is, that's the only piece here. And I think that I, I'm reminded of, um, there was a piece a couple of days ago in National Review that was talking about how um, abortion should be, um, you know, on, like, untenable, unthinkable, and illegal. And I was like, I think you can do one of those. And even then, that's a little questionable. I just think that like the politics has shifted, especially as the issue became one where 
there are people who vote just on issues of abortion, but those tend to be people who oppose abortion. And I also think that, you know, one of the challenges you have with this particular issue is that I, you know, when you are talking about limitations to abortion, I, and you know, this is why it's so hard. I can think of a billion reasons why, like, the yet, you know, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, what about, what about, what about? And I think that for many people on this issue, and again, I think that that's, that's the challenge that Roe offered, is that you had people for whom, you know, if you talk to folks who are in the pro-choice movement, they basically, they saw the overturning of Roe coming like 20, 25 years ago. Um, if you read uh, Rebecca Traister in New York Magazine, she's been talking about this a lot. And I think that what those people saw is that safe, legal, and rare was a canard. That it was basically handing this issue over to the people who oppose abortion the most and who wanted to make it so that, you know, it just gets less safe, less legal, and more rare. And I think that the challenge here, I mean, there are a lot of challenges here, um, but among them is that rhetorically i think that what, what you know that idea of safe legal and rare pr probably mirrors where most people are on this issue but i think that the challenge is that, that they have not i mean as as roe acted as a mute on the issue they have not been able to vote in this this manner you know we've seen on sure. this particular issue and a host of others that the polarization has, in, you know, as I mentioned, there are there's the last pro-choice Republican left Congress a couple of years ago. There are no, I mean, unless you're counting Biden himself, there are no anti-abortion Democrats. Very much so. Um, Quayar. Yeah. No. <laughs> that. <laughs> and just 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 so people are aware, that's the so, that's the only member of Congress. Uh, who is pro-life and a Democrat left? I think Colin Peterson left. Yeah. Uh, is is uh, is on his way out. He didn't yeah. stand for re-election, so Colin Peterson, right. Quayar, there might be there might be a couple. Yeah, so right. one out of hundreds. Yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. And so I think that you know we are not talking about. I you know it would be easier to have this conversation if Congress were more representative of the opinions of the American populace, but it is not. And I also think that the American, you know, the American populace is, it's complicated for most people, especially because any number of people can think about like, what about this instance? What about this instance? Like it, you know, you can, in some cases you can call it simple hypocrisy and, but you can also talk about how like, this is a very complicated issue for people. And I also think that there's a sense from Democrats that you cannot give, I mean, clearly you cannot give Republicans an inch because if you are attempting to appeal to, you know, to the American populace while Republicans spent 40 years appealing to the courts, um, you know, clearly, you know, how, how that happened, you know, let's see what happened. Um, I also think, though, that um, one thing that gets me is that this is going to be an issue in which there are so many bills, you know, going back to, uh, I think someone mentioned prohibition. And one of, one of the many issues, I mean, one of the many issues of the Volstead Act is that in, enforcement of the Volstead Act was done at like the state and local level. And Can there you were say what that is. The Volstead Act was the act that prohib prohibited the sale of alcohol in the United yep. States from 19, January 1920 until I believe January 1934. I think it's the um, 
the repeal of prohibition took it's amazing looking back that it was a constitutional amendment that everyone was like yes and then like 12 years later they're no um but enforcement looked very different on state to state level because the Volstead Act was in part aimed at immigrant communities in large cities, but there were lots of states that had already gone dry. And you can almost see a parallel here where you have, um, for instance, Wyoming uh, prohibited the sale of alcohol like in the 1880s, I believe. Um, someone will fact check me on this if they have not yet. But like, you know, you had a number of states where for whom prohibition didn't really change anything at all. And then you had places like New York and elsewhere in which prohibition, you know, use up essentially the purposeful poisoning of thousands of people and, you know, where prohibition had this massive impact on the lives of everyday people. And so I think that what we're going to see here and, you know, about your, you know, we're going to have 10 to 12 years of horror is that it's not just about... Um, thinking about this at the congressional level, what abortion law looks like now is going to differ not just state to state, but county to county. Because some some like county level prosecutors will not enforce old abortion bans because there are abortion bans that were on the books from you know the 19th century that will now that are now supposedly going to be enforced. Some prosecutors won't. Some prosecutors will. And I think that what it's going to look like here is that it's going to be this very muddy patchwork of what abortion law looks like. And I think that that makes it challenging for, uh, again, for politicians and that there are going to be politicians who are like, oh, I thought this was going to have such a big impact on, on my district, but nothing's changed. Nothing really happened, has really happened. You, you've seen the strongest statements against jobs coming from politicians who are in states where abortion rights have already been kind of enshrined in the state constitution. I am... I'm kind of interested, and I think a lot of conservatives are interested in what Ron DeSantis does in Florida, uh -huh. in which you have, you know, I, if I remember correctly, the Florida Constitution has a right to privacy, um, but we'll see what the Florida State uh, Supreme Court has. But you have, a, you have a populace that is largely supportive of abortion rights, but a governor whose political ambitions require him to not be. And so I think you're going to see, like, that's why I, I, you know, I think that isn't that a case for optimism, though? Let me just jump on, on DeSantis. That for me, I mean, I, I literally was tweeting about this because exactly my point about the dog that caught the car. Right. Right. Like they've caught it. And now the politician that has ambitions to do something bigger is screwed because he's got a rabid core and he's got ambitions that are either national or a state that he has to navigate that is actually not the core. And I, obviously, I mean, this is happens in politics all the time. But on this issue, because it's so powerful and so acute because of it's a, it's a rights issue, it, it, it takes it to another level. Right. I mean, I'm watching the DeSantis thing with a lot of interest because I suspect if he perhaps feels like he has to bow to his extremists, uh, flank he's really going to pay the price i mean i think that i feel as if in general i don't think anyone pays the price for anything anymore um like the like especially in politics basic it it seems to me that you can do pretty much anything and you know what's a gr the former louisiana governor who said something about like the only way i'm going to get yes, out of yes. office is uh with dead a boy. dead boy or yeah. a live girl that's right that's right um, yeah. being caught in bed with a dead boy or live or dead girl <laughs> yes. or a live yeah. boy that's that it. is yeah. a complicated sense to try to say but i think that what you're gonna see though is that you know and again this is the complications of of politics is that his 
as you said, extremist flank, those are the people who vote in primaries. The people, I mean, we could get into a whole separate conversation about how the primary system basically encourages any sort of extremism. But like, if you are those voters, you cannot like have this person who is seeking national ambition as like the ideal Republican nominee and have that person appear to be wishy-washy on the thing that you vote Republican for. I'm not saying that DeSantis won't bow to it. Uh, I'm just saying that if he bows to it, I think we may see a healthy thing develop. That's all I'm I'm so, throwing well, out there. So I, I and and if he mm. if he bows to it, and the alternative is a Democrat who sounds reasonable to the majority of the American people, then he'll pay for it. Mm. If he doesn't, if he if he quote unquote bows to it, and the alternative is no, we want to enact, uh, we want to codify Roe, although apparently the latest talking points uh, sent around say don't we don't talk about codifying Roe anymore. But if we legalize abortion rights and pass what the WHPA would call for, which is uh, uh, overriding state level restrictions, then, yeah, the the 15 percent of voters who are really motivated by this issue hmm. on the left, they'll 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 so, be really upset about DeSantis. But, but the others, I, the others I, might say, eh, but so, I also think inflation. that like what you're motivated by shifts and changes. I think that, um, you know, we're, we're I, I we're not that far removed from an era in 2003, 2004, in which like a big issue was getting a constitutional amendment to ban same sex marriage, which is I, 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 on the long things have been lost to the mists of time. Um, the host of people who supported that in 2003, 2004, 2005. And then, you know, the second after a burger fellow, we're like, it's a state issue. I'm a libertarian on it now, which I'm like, cool. Cool. Great to hear. But um, I think that this is one in which you are going to have, there are lots of people who will not be, like, the polling is not reflective of how people will actually vote on this. And I also think that asking people to, you know, like, people are aware that that many people, for instance, would want even in states that have banned abortion, they would want exceptions for rape and incest and for the life of the mother. But a lot of states, one, have removed those exceptions. And also there are a host of people who are like, no, we, d- we mean abolish. We mean this each time. And I think like what, what we're trying to work our way around is that this is an issue in which many millions of people have been touched by the issue of abortion in many ways. And yet the people for whom it has become a driving force have generally been on what we, I think we would say are kind of like the wings of it. However, there are people who they, they didn't think about this that much and then this happened and now they are shifting and moving and we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But I think that it's just, it's, it's complicated. So I, I, I want to take a, a step back. I mean, we at Wisdom of Crowds, we like to always dig a little bit deeper and talk about first principles. And we've alluded to this, but we haven't really gotten into it. Demir did push us a bit on the question of rights and how we conceive of rights. So we have the right to privacy, which has come up numerous times. And we also have a right to life from... Um, from an anti-abortion standpoint, and that could mean a right to a right to life at conception, for example. But I think that reasonable people can disagree on whether a right to privacy is actually enshrined in the Constitution. It's not explicitly mentioned in the Fourteenth Amendment. And um, when Roe v. Wade happened um, five decades ago, there were liberal jurists who didn't think 
Roe was good jurisprudence, and they didn't think that the 14th Amendment necessarily entailed a right to privacy. So this was not purely a right and left thing. There were liberals, liberals who were experts on constitutional law, who did not think the 14th Amendment enshrined that. So, um, but on the other hand, when it comes to, there is no right to life at conception in the Constitution either. So here we have two dueling conceptions of rights. But the bigger issue here is why, why is it the Supreme Court, unelected justices who are deciding on something that is so morally contested. And that's where we can go back to Roe v. Wade in the 1970s and say, if we if we imagine an alternative history, would we have ended up in a better place if we had tried to resolve the abortion question through the democratic process by allowing American voters to be the primary actors who would decide what the limitations were or weren't. And it is worth noting that in most of the world, constitutions do not actually um, make judgments on abortions. This is actually a somewhat unique thing. And in, in most Western democracies, it's decided by parliaments. It's decided by voters through their elected representatives. And we mentioned France earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an example of it that recently um, France extended its um, uh, abortion. Abortion was legal for the first 12 weeks, I believe. Parliament in France extended that to, I believe, 14 or 15 weeks. But it wasn't about a constitution deciding that. It wasn't about a Supreme Court deciding it. And I'm wondering if, going back to Demir's question, if we focus on this as a question of rights, then we then it's going to have to be decided by the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court can give rights, the Supreme Court can also take away those rights. That's the danger of focusing on rights as the fundamental uh, dividing line. On the other hand, we can say, well, what about the democratic process? Um, we as Americans don't agree on these foundational questions about where life begins. So let's let's allow people to vote on it. And then we have to respect whatever the democratic outcome is on that. I'm curious, Jane, how you would respond to this idea of taking it away from unelected justices. And now it's too late, obviously, but if we go back in time, why would that have been an inappropriate approach from the 1970s onwards, considering that most European countries have done precisely that? Because we are not a European country. Um, I think that we have a very specific, we have a combination of elements that a lot of other countries don't have on this. Um, one, um, we have states. We have states with very different political interests and political priorities. And I think that what you saw as I mentioned, Roe was an attempt at a compromise of sorts. It was an attempt to say, like... But it was decided undemocratically. I mean, that's the issue. Right. I mean, so I think that the... I mean, this is where it's complicated, because I, I mean, I keep saying it's complicated, but it is, because I think that there are a host of issues. Um, I think that, you know, when we're talking about the Supreme Court, there have been a host of issues in which the Supreme Court has answered the question or attempted to answer the question for long before the American people were prepared for that question either to be asked or answered. Um, 
I use the example occasionally of Loving, Loving versus Virginia, 1967, which ruled um, that bans on miscegenation or uh, interracial marriage were unconstitutional. Um, at the time of that decision, uh, acceptance of interracial marriage was something abs- like something absurd, like eight percent. It hit fifty percent acceptance in like nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety five. Um, this is a very different issue, um, especially because it has to. Do- I mean, this is this has to do with you know the conceit of life, and it does not involve something as. Um, I'm going to say uh, as wishy-washy as race, but it is. When you were asking people, you know, Virginia's racial laws of the 1920s and 1930s, where if you ever look them up, they were so stupid. They were so stupid. It involved breakdowns of who counted as black that just got insane. But I think that where people, I mean, in general, the Supreme Court in the United States has led on led the American people on a host of issues. That's because of the diversity of our states, and that's because of the wonders of federalism. And so I think that had that had you know had abortion been decided through the democratic process, it would happen not just through a democratic process. It would have happened through the existing fifty you know fifty democratic processes. Um, you would have states where there had been long, long-running abortion bans, and there would have been states that would have, you know, lo- loosened their existing abortion bans. But I would guess probably still kept many of them in place. And so I think that um, you know, you you look back at now you're seeing starting to see the return of abortion laws from bef- way before Roe. And I, I'm always entertained when people are like, well, we, you know, we didn't punish, quote unquote, abortionists then, so we wouldn't now. And I'm like, yes, that's how laws work, because of what you did in like 1870 is the thing you do today. Um, but I think that, that you would have had not just 50, you would have 50 democratic processes, all with differing results. And then you would have the issue of the fact that, you know, interstate commerce exists. And I think that the movement that opposed abortion that has opposed abortion now and the movement that opposed it then you know they might look a little bit different um people often reference the fact that uh, i believe the uh, southern baptist convention in the 1970s was supportive of abortion rights to a sense but catholics were not um the church has always been in i mean I was some provisos <laughs> with regard to the vatican's views on this withstanding but like <laughs> There were, I think that this would have had to be handled at some point at the federal level, because I think that there would have been, there would have been numerous cases of which someone leaves the state to receive an abortion and is arrested when they return home because of something that happens. I, I you know. We're about if, to see that now, perhaps, right, though, no, right? Which I, I, I do appreciate that Justice Kavanaugh was like, by the way, you can't do that. Right. And I think that you're going to see, um, you know, you've already seen uh, National Right to Life saying that, like, we want a ban. Uh, you know, we want it to be illegal for someone to tell you how to get an abortion on the phone. Yeah. Which, you know, again, that goes to the kind of the right to privacy case. But I think that um, so many of these would have to do, like, when you're asking these questions about you know, interstate movement, when you're asking these questions about the very nature of life, when you're asking questions about, like, can't, you know, what can you do, what can't you do under the law, if a law, you know, does the law interfere with the Constitution, does it interfere with your constitutional rights, I feel as if at some point, even with, 
you know, the democratic process allowed to exist, I still feel like at some point this gets to the Supreme Court because there have just been too many questions, too many incidents. There would have been, um, you know, one thing that always has interested me about the history of the Supreme Court is how many Supreme Court cases started out because of something incredibly stupid happening. Um, for instance, uh, Lawrence v. Texas, uh, which eventually struck down anti-sodomy laws, started because um, three guys were hanging out and two guys were really into each other and the third guy was annoyed by that, so we called the cops on them and said that oh. a black guy was trying to break into this apartment. They walk into the apartment and see these two men having sex. They're like, we gotta charge you with something. And that's what they came up with. Like, wh- I think that... You know, as I, and I, I really am of so you know not just two minds, three, four minds on this because again, like it would be great, and if we could have some sort of, like if the muddled middle had an opportunity to state their case and state their views on a host of issues, I think that would be good. But I also think that our laws are often, you know, we, the, the Supreme Court is supposed to not just stand up for the majority, but also meant to stand up for the minority. And I think that the challenge would have been that if you had a state that had a, you know, if, if you had an abortion ban on the books in states in, in, you know, in 1973, and you had people who wanted to check, like, I think that the the democratic process would have resulted in laws that still get challenged in court. But so, so let me just clarify one thing, and then I want to also throw the same question to Michael. Um, I, I feel like in your answer, there was a, there was a, um, a moral component to it and then a technical component to it. To a certain extent, you're saying that, that um, especially when you were talking about the, the miscegenation laws, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a sort of a, a, a mechanism here where the the courts pull the country along in the right direction public opinion catches up to it and that there's that that's one one part of it and presumably that applies to abortion too or at least in a little bit which i mean i think that that that's the complicated thing is that i think abortion is like the one issue where the polling in like 1973 1974 1975 and the polling now is all basically a lot of americans kind of going i feel weird about this so that's why I think that abortion is such a specific issue on this, mm-hmm. where in which I'm like, I think that tip, the, the actions of typical politics and this issue, for, if for some reason, and you could, you know, America's religious history, but it's not even that. Like, it's, uh, you know, I think that this, this issue is particularly vexatious on this very question. But it's not analogous because it is, it is a legitimate viewpoint to be against abortion where it's not a legitimate viewpoint to be against interracial marriage. Right, I mean, but people, you know, that sh- that it was a legitimate viewpoint yeah, I mean, to be where, opposed where's, to interracial where's this, marriage. No, where's this legitimacy come from? Right, I mean, that's like, it's, to be it's, fair. Is the legitimacy coming from, I mean, it's the same reason why people um, are like, you know, the court won't go after a Burgafell, or I keep bringing up like, will the court go after Windsor, which I think would be because, you know, do we have to reinstate the Defense of Marriage Act? Like, I have a lot of other questions. But, but the, the, the legitimacy mm. came where it was like, you know, this this thing that we kind of want to stop talking about is settled now. And so I think that, like, where that legitimacy comes from, who, who caught, like, it's not that, like, the bans on interracial marriage were morally wrong the first time. They were yeah. wrong the whole Knowing time. Knowing what we know now, um, interracial marriage is and was always morally legitimate yeah um 
I don't think that we can say something comparable about, I mean, knowing what we know now, there are there are, are two legitimate positions on abortion and both of them have moral justifications. And I personally can't envision a point any any time in the foreseeable future where we will settle this definitively the way that we did with slavery or interracial marriage. Why? Because there are legitimate religious viewpoints in doctrine. And I would argue that, I mean, this is just my viewpoint. I don't believe in the monotheistic faiths. There was any legitimate religious justification for slavery, for, for, for slavery. That's my, that's my, but we can, we don't have to debate that right now. Yeah. And maybe Michael has more to say about this from a Christian perspective. Anyway, I don't mean to like divert us from that. And, and Demir, you were trying to get somewhere. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, and uh, Michael, I th- well, no, I, it's, it's, I, I do want to turn to Michael. It's, I think this is fascinating because this gets at, at this question. I mean, what I was asking Jane about this, this question of progress, question of how do you guide progress? You know, I mean, Shadi and I have been talking about this. One of the returning themes is again, Shadi's into this minimal democracy thing. It's interesting though, that you, you bring up legitimacy on this and say, well, this is obviously legitimate. This is obviously contested. So, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, you go back, you know, 50 years, that it is obviously legitimate back then, interracial marriage. But and the, now and, it is. Well, now it and is now because, we know better. because of a court actually ruled on it and pulled the country that way. You know, so it therefore, therefore, that's an argument against your minimal democracy, where you'd say something is contested, therefore kick it to democracy. I don't know, Michael, how do you feel about this? What's the role of courts in progress or the state in progress? How does this work? Yeah, I mean, so let me, since I haven't sort of said this and and... Uh, Jane sort of laid out the very plausible, you know, this goes poorly. There are horror stories. The human costs of the post Dobbs landscape is clear and, and there's sort of democratic consensus. Uh, let me, here's the, here's the pro-life ideal for the way this goes. And I'll just be, uh, I have serious doubts that it will play out this way, but if it turned out this way, this is like the, the best scenario I, I could imagine, which is uh, Dobbs, uh, you know, the law is a teacher uh, and, and Dobbs reopens the horizon for uh, uh, for the American people to think about whether abortion is uh, necessary, whether abortion is uh, moral, uh, what uh, what it might look like to uh, support women and uh, families and children in a more robust way that uh, there are testimonies of children who have been born in the post-Dobbs landscape who would not have been born otherwise and are contributing to society uh, and that 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 that's what the Dobbs I mean so this would be the hope of the pro-life community that this is the moment when the possibility of a culture of life is possible in a way that it wasn't under i mean so i mean that that would be sort of the progress story from the pro-life perspective right i think there are all kinds of reasons why yeah it won't i I mean i think it's a um i I think it's uh it, it is a um uh uh i have uh serious questions about what it uh, means to go from uh, row to in a state like Alabama a complete ban uh, and and w- what that sort of uh, 
the, the, the ethics of, of that in a way. But, but I just wanted to, like the, the, the pro-life story here isn't like, oh, like, you know, uh, they aren't saying, oh, like we, we got our way, we're, we're gonna say, like they have, a, they have a positive vision right. for the way that which, they hope that which this, I think that like Which is why I think that like, you know, that's why I think compromise would be, and it's like, you know, like, um, it compromise would be anathema. I'm, um, I keep thinking of, there's a moment at the end, um, the end of the first Star Wars movie in which Moff Tarkin is being invited to evacuate from the Death Star. And he says, like, evacuate at a moment of triumph? You <laughs> overestimate the chances. But so, and so, like, yeah. if you have, you know, if you've, yeah, the dog caught the car. And now the dog is like, if you are thinking that this is the moment in which you create this culture of life, you aren't asking questions like, what does this mean for IVF? Like, what does this mean for all these hosts of other issues where you are going to get to that, but first you had to do this thing, and now it's time. But, like, so, that's, that's where I think that if you believe that that is a possibility, why on earth would you compromise? Yeah, and so that that's my... Well, so uh, first I want to say that is my, uh, you know, I'll just, just be honest. After I wrote this, there was part of me that was like, we may look back on like the pro-life movement itself may look back three years from now and go, wow, wish we went with this. But there is a part of me that that is, uh, again, like I said before, I, uh, uh, I have reservations about a 15 week uh, legalization nationally at, at this point. Um, uh, I was with a senior longstanding Democratic uh, a policymaker. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago who was in the room in the 90s when Democrats had control before Gingrich when Democrats had control of the White House control of Congress and he he mentioned he was he was in the room and during talks to codify Roe back then and uh, the reason it didn't get back done back then is because uh, uh, moderates wanted parental notification uh, in the bill and progressives didn't want to give that and as I wrote in the piece I don't think there's any pro-choice activists who would look back now and say oh I wish we didn't take that bill so again that would be the Republican uh, again not the pro-life groups not the ones who see uh, who, who, who believe sort of all the ducks are in a row and this is going to be great before Republicans, frankly, with political concerns, mm. who who uh, uh, are getting advised by lawyers, hey, by uh, by the middle of 2023, uh, four of our, and this is a hypothetical. This isn't, but four of our state bans are going to be struck down, and uh, we're, we're we're potentially looking at uh, uh, Herschel Walker losing in Georgia. And Ron Johnson losing in Wisconsin and Oz losing in Pennsylvania. And so we'll have even less to work with. Uh, we better cut it, you know. So I think it would take remarkably prescient judgment for Republicans to want to take any kind of compromise. I completely agree. But there is precedent for people with leverage having the moment to lock in what they had and not doing it and coming to regret the, it. And Republicans might not want to end up in that spot. The, the, the smartest thing to do is to be magnanimous in victory. Of course, it's very hard for people to do that when they feel like they're winning, but you don't want to, you don't want to too aggressively defeat your opponents because that can create a backlash. And, um, you know, history is replete with examples of that. And I, I, I caused some controversy on Twitter the other week when I just made a note that when Obama rubbed it 
in Trump's face. Rubbed what in Trump's face? <laughs> no, he, when, in the in the White House correspondence dinner when he basically was, um, and rightfully, he had every right to be mean to Trump because Trump had started the birtherism con um, conspiracy theory. But Obama sort of made Trump feel humiliated in that moment. And you don't want to overreach. You don't want to overplay your hand when you're in a strong position. But of course, when you're in a strong position, you think that you can overplay your hand. But so, I do I do want to yeah. just um, I, I want to ask you, Michael, about a first principle issue, because I'm actually curious how you come at this. You are part of a rare breed. There aren't a whole lot of you left. So I always think that we should take advantage of our opportunity when we find people like you in the wild, an evangelical who is a Democrat. And I presume that means that you would consider yourself to be pro-life. And this gets to what Jane was talking about earlier. When when um, pro-life folks say that they believe abortion is tantamount to murder, even in some extreme cases, genocide, I know they say that, and I know that they think they believe that. I'm always a little bit skeptical myself, because if you really believed that abortion was equivalent to murder, you would be out in the streets. Not only that, you would probably not consider the government to be legitimate. You but, might, and there are, I, I want to be clear yeah, here that I think that there are people who use that, who use this idea rhetorically, but there are people who yeah, genuinely believe this. And I think that that gets to like, that thing I keep bringing up, which is like, you know, if abortion were murder and a woman, you know, uses medication to have an abortion, what should be her punishment? And it's interesting that it's like, it's abortion is murder, but we don't handle it like murder or think yes, of it exactly. like murder. And we would never punish anyone like it's murder, but it's murder. But most people who are pro-life who say that abortion is murder um, don't actually take it to the logical conclusion because they aren't taking up arms. It's a very small minority that have used violence. It's a very small minority that do not consider the U.S. government to be um, legitimate for for this reason specifically. So you, I know evangelicals who say, who tell me, yeah, Shadi, we think abortion is equivalent to murder, but then they're not actually doing much about it. If you did see, but if you saw, let's say, for example, something comparable to murder, like um, if the government was going around killing Muslims, I can imagine that a lot of people would actually want to take up arms and you know, we could have, you know, that would be something that at least Muslims would. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, well, not well, that's a that's a good joke. Um, <laughs> but so I guess like I'm just wondering, like, if, if we really believe the things that we say we believe, that it means that we do something about it. It's the same thing when people's when the when this um, when the 50 million Republicans, Trump supporters who say that they believe the election was stolen from Trump. If you really, really believe that, it would mean that our democracy as we know it has ended. And that would be that would be probably the most extreme thing imaginable. And you probably and wouldn't like run for Congress like yeah, six months yeah. ago. That's been the funniest yeah, thing of people right. being like, our, you know, th this government is like is a hollow shell. It's not real. Please, please vote for me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that goes. So, uh, but I'm curious, like, how would you talk about this as an do? Yeah. So do you, if, do you, first of all, do you believe that abortion is tantamount to murder? Yeah. Do you believe other evangelicals, the, the mass of them, not the extreme abortion abolitionists? And I take Jane's point that there oh. is a small minority that actually 
take this to the logical extreme in practice, but how, how t- help us understand as non-event, I don't think yeah. uh, we're non- non-evangelicals, the rest of us here, help us understand this. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, A, just gonna win me a whole lot of friends here, Shadi, so first, thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. So, uh, no, I mean, you are actually, rep- I mean, if you are an evangelical Christian, if you, be- you know, if you believe that Jesus Christ died and was rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures to you know to take on the sins of the world some and of that evangelical web searching uh, really mean, stuck I, for you jane this i'm is great. still a, i'm still a christian i just you know i i i have the ex- i have i still have the catholic lack of enthusiasm for it <laughs> which i think is the accurate way to feel about it just kind of yeah. like calm no, down no, put no. your hands down put the guitar <laughs> yeah. down so i, so I only so so right so this is this has been my last two weeks which is uh and, and you're representative of millions of people it's just it, it, not it, here <laughs> yeah yeah right uh so um so look so so my so uh i don't use language uh, like uh, murder uh, around this. I I think that uh, the unborn child is uh, a human being. I think that religiously, I think that is a fact. That science to be clear, is that what you mean? I, I think once uh, uh, it, it's a growing, uh, uh, inherently human uh, uh, organism. So it's it's life. I think there's an interesting debate to be had about personhood and when personhood happens. But I if believe it's life, it's life why to isn't be it murder then? Well, well, so I I think it's um, so uh, I I believe that um, uh, uh, the unborn uh, child is a, a uniquely situated life, which uh, which invoke and it's uniquely situated because it impinges on uh, the. Uh, on uh, its mother on a, in, a, in a way that's unique, a relationship that's unique. And so, for instance, I support, you raised exceptions for uh, rape as a sort of a matter of hypocrisy. Um, I think if I personally knew uh, a, a woman who was Christian and was 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 ra- raped, I, I would, um, uh, I, I might uh, have different uh uh, counsel for her. I might talk with her differently. Um, as a matter of law, I'm comfortable with exceptions on rape because I I, I, I do think because there the the consent of the sexual act was absent that it is uh, an intrusion that I wouldn't want to see government sort of enter into. Now I understand that that logic of intrusion is something that pro-choice folks extend to to anything and 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 I. I, I think there's a a cultural value that has to be placed on on the life that's different. But I've never taken sort of, um, well, so 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 let me let me go from there to say sort of my political. Um, I've only worked for pro-choice politicians. Um, I mean, there's only been one politician I've worked for, and it's Barack Obama, and I was very proud to work with him. Uh, even though we disagreed on this question of the legality of abortion, what we did agree on and what I was able to work with him on is, um, A, he was a president who ran saying that abortion was a moral tragedy. He was also a president who went to Notre Dame and called for reducing the number of women seeking abortions. And I was part of a multi-year effort to um, uh, create a policy agenda that would do that. I wrote about that in my book and, and what happened with that um, in my book, Reclaiming Hope. And by the time Barack Obama left office, the abortion rate was at the lowest it's ever been in this country. I think it would have been lower if he had 
uh, supported restrictions on abortion, which, by the way, in 2008, he said he was open to certain restrictions on abortion. I think it's one of the reasons why he won. It's one of the reasons Jimmy Carter won. It's one of the reasons why uh, why um, why Bill Clinton won. Um, uh, and so my approach to this issue has never been a sort of punitive or, or a sort of legal to to begin with, because I think there are a lot of factors that go in. But I, I think I think we have not counted the cost as a society of um, of um, what Pope Francis calls the throwaway culture uh, of of the the message it sends of 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 what it does when. A, uh, when a, uh, uh, a a woman can get pregnant and her boyfriend turns and says, well, are you going to keep it when that option is on the table? I don't think we've counted the cost of what it means for a, a teenager who's wondering if their life has meaning uh, in a society where uh, we're supporting abortion for those who have career a sort of advancement in line or say you know my life hasn't turned out the way i wanted it to and and if i would have had an abortion i could have or what we're seeing a lot of now which is uh i have an acting career and it's all because of my abortion well what about for the teenage kid whose whose parent is uh, falling into bankruptcy and is wondering whether if they didn't exist their parent might have had a better future um, i think those are serious things that um, there's no sort of I'm not aware of social science research that could quantify that, but I'm I'm someone who believed that abortion has 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 um, has uh, uh, um, uh, affected the conscience of, of of this country. And as Jane said, sort of countless countless lives. I think, though, that the one thing I, I want to get across here is that we are seeing um there's this interesting thing that happens on this particular issue that does not seem to exist on other issues, which is that the Republicans who think of themselves as being realists somehow cease to be realists on the issue of abortion, in which, um, you know, you talk about, like, gun restrictions. You, you hear all the time, like, that gun restrictions won't restrict people from getting guns. It will just restrict the good guys from getting guns. And there's, like, a, you know, and in some way, like, I am supportive of gun rights, and um, I think that, like, some of those arguments make more sense than others, but I think that on the issue of abortion, people have always had abortions. Um, if you go back to the era pre-Roe, um, there were means by which women received abortions, and there were means by which um, women received safe abortions. They were often not the same means. And I think that the situation today would be very different. I don't, I don't want to, you know, think too much about pre-robe, because I think that with what we have, you know, with the addition of uh, self-induced medications, through med uh, self-induced abortion through medication, it's a very different environment than such it was in, 19 in the 1960s and 1970s. But the needs the reasons for which people have abortions or would like to have abortions are as numerous as the stars above and i think that the challenge here is that there are going to be one that there will be restrictions that people do not that extend from abortion bans that people might not see right now where you're seeing like what does this mean for these particular types of medications um if someone miscarries in a way that a local sheriff finds to be a little suspicious, is that an abortion? Uh, you've already seen in a couple of states, and this has happened for a long time, that if you um, if you go to the hospital because you're experiencing a stillbirth and you, you test positive for drugs, even if it's a drug that 
they you know it, an autopsy will can show that that didn't cause the stillbirth because you know it's really complicated to figure out how that happens you can still be charged for it um still charged essentially with murder uh if you put if you are i mean one of the challenges here is if you are the woman who is carrying a child and you put in the eyes of the law if you put yourself in a situation that could cause the fetus to be in danger um will you be charged for that and they have there have been cases in which they have been and so i think that the what we're seeing here is that like I understand. I remember when um, you know Pope Francis talked about the throwaway culture, but I think that there is there's a real. I understand the idea of for people who oppose abortion of thinking of a world in which a, a world beyond and above abortion, but I also think that that is a world that does not and will not exist because people have always had abortions. People will always have abortions. The question will be like, where can they have it? How will it be penalized? Who will be penalized for it? I think that there's this idea that like there's like the evil abortionist who will be punished for this, and somehow the woman will not be. But if the woman is herself inducing an abortion, it raises a lot of questions there. But I, I would say that like I think that this gets at why this is so complicated. Is that like the same per you know people boyfriends were looking at girlfriends or people who um, they were with in you know in 1945 saying are you gonna keep it or should i find somebody who can deal with this for you there's always been someone who knew how to um perform an abortion um whether or not they actually knew how to do so is all you know was very uh, very much on a case-by-case -case basis but this you know we exist in the world as it is and i want to have a conversation about the politics of the world as it is especially because we've seen numerous times in which i mean i think that this gets at the, like the hypocrisy that bothers me in which you have people who are like you know they peep you know who are the strongest voices against abortion and then they pay for the abortions of their mistresses yeah. because you know life is complicated <laughs> you know they're also disgusting people and i hate them with like i think that level of hypocrisy that's like one of the things that bothers me the most in the history of time, and lots of things bother me. Um, I'm realizing that now as I get older, so I'm just annoyed by a lot of things. Um, that is that is the reality of getting older. It's yeah, just getting it's just crankier. Like, Dang, people are annoying. <laughs> but, um, but Jane, but, can, can I can I ask you though? I I I I appreciate what you're saying about the complexity of it, um, but I I feel like in 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 a lot of this stuff, maybe to just help us circle back to where we started on a lot of this, uh, which is this idea about um, whether it would be good if both sides lose. To me, that's that's the question. I feel like I haven't gotten that answer from you because I, on, on, I, I think, and maybe I'm reading you wrong, but you have a, a certain commitment to, to not both sides losing, that there is a side that is more correct than the other on this, and therefore that... Um, that there is a certain kind of right that has been enshrined. I mean, you've made the case that that it would have ended up in the Supreme Court because of complexities, because of interstate commerce, because of the patchwork of laws. We're there right now. I guess we'll figure out how that works now. But but can you make the, the, the positive case for me uh, that, in fact, um, that middle ground um, where both sides lose. I really want to drill yeah. down on that because, but, and this is my Slavic sort of like, like truculence, like, ah, get both sides lose. That's good. Yes. So I don't know. So, you, you also enjoy pain and suffering. Yes, I, yes, yes, yes. I can see that. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, think, I mean, I think that there is, 
there is a politic there there is a politics that I can imagine in which both sides lose, but I think that the pr- the challenge will be is that both sides will see the loss as you know. Uh, there's a quote from the awful former Civil War general George McClellan that I did not lose. I merely failed to win. Hmm. And I think both sides would see that loss as both, you know, you, you, you can imagine a final victory, especially when you are putting this in a parlance that is above politics, in which, like, this is something that will go on for years and years and years. And especially if you saw people who, the overturning of Roe, was an event that if you told people that this was going to happen in, especially after um, uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, you people would have just been like, you know, kind of astounded by it. But, just, yeah, but I think that like... But asking you. Yes. yes I'm asking me. you. Not, not so much. I take your analysis. I even agree with a lot of it on that. I'm asking you on that question. Yes. On the question of... of of both sides losing or or more importantly am i am i reading you wrong that that you know uh, one side shouldn't lose i think <sighs> hmm well i would say that i think that the side that is fighting for a right to privacy and a side that is fighting for you know, limited intervention by the state, that is the side that I would want to win. Because I think that that is the side that is reflective of how complicated the internal lives of actual people are. Um, I under I don't think that side has... Um, I think that that side also has, in many other instances, I think, uh, gone back on that idea. Um, I think that occasionally we... There, it's, it's funny how, like, you know, libertarian ideals, generally you have one libertarian ideal and you have that one, and then all the rest of them, you're kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, or you're very interested in the state getting invested in somebody else's life. Um, but I think that the side that, you know, is that believes that people have the right to make incredibly complicated decisions and those decisions might not make you you do not like them and they might not make sense to you but those are the decisions that people are making at the time at, uh, particularly in a time of incredible pressure um that is the side that in my heart of hearts i would want that side to win however i think that that is you know one of the again we have this challenge here where that that side i don't know has has does not have the same you know, having grown up Catholic and having grown up in a fairly religious environment, and I still think of myself as being fairly religious, though, again, angry. Um, <laughs> which might be reflective of, like, a religion, a more ancient religion, just being, you know, absolutely furious at the Aaron of the Bible. Um, but I think that, that, you know, if you have an ideal to which you are fighting, I do, that's very hard to contest, it, you know, whether politically or culturally. And if what the what the reality looks like is so far below that ideal i think that 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 is challenging but i would say that like both sides losing i think is an unavailable option because i feel as if losing privacy rights is bad and people and you know if you oppose abortion losing in any way on that thinking about um I think I've seen a lot of conservative writers ask, asking people, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. But if you can have the perfect, if you can reach out and touch the perfect, Temptation, you think you yeah. can, oh, yeah, yeah. it's very powerful. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, 
totally respect that. I do. It, it has been like a striking feature of uh, th- there was a opinion writer for the Washington Post who reached out and sort of like the the it was are you nuts republicans are entrenched on this issue they'd never concede anything this is so stupid and then like the conclusion is also abortion is health care so you know so there is this um it, it has been a shocking feature uh, to see um this this sort of um what i think is a, a political failure but also this sort of in in uh this desire of pro-choice folks in this environment to say, you know, the Republicans will, will never, you know, never give an inch, uh, uh, but not want to concede anything on, uh, like, uh, pro-lifers are looking at the pro-choice side and saying, they never give an inch. If, if we give an eight-week, if we give an eight-week floor, they'll bump it up to 15 as soon as they get the chance. They're already calling to repeal the filibuster for abortion rights, so how could we uh, give up anything? It, it is just like, um, uh, 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 it, it's it's an interesting, uh, but not just on abortion, dynamic. right? I mean, I think that's that's the case for so many issues where each side feels that the other will never give an inch, so therefore they don't give an inch, and ever and each side thinks the other started it. Obviously, I think that we can factually assess on certain issues which side is is worse. But again, this is subjective because if we could find agreement on that then we'd find agreement, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's like, who started as a stupid thing? Like, ultimately, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you, right. you go back, you can trace it to So whenever. even if Republicans and, and, started it, someone has to stop. Well, someone this, has to make... Someone has to say, well, we're going to be magnanimous, and we're going to actually reach out and try to um, find a compromise or at least propose. But it's very hard to make that argument to people because especially, you know... Democrats look at Republicans and they they see that Republicans are, you know, obviously very aggressive on any number of issues and are not exactly what I would call models of compromise. And it goes, you know, um, I think that Democrats feel so burned right now. Um, and what Michelle Obama once said, when when they go low, we go high. I just don't think there's a constituency for that precisely because Democrats feel they've been burned for so long. Right. Well, yeah, there also just may not be a constituency uh, for for Democrats, and, and that's the thing I want. The Democrats really have to. What, what do you mean? Sorry, what? I, I, I think there, there there are two dueling sides in in the Democratic coalition. There's one that says, if if you give an inch, uh, Republicans will take everything, and then there's my side that says, look, if if we're just going to be entrenched and not call the sky blue when the sky is blue not not acknowledge a, a, a abortion has a moral element not uh meet even our own voters where they are on a issue like hide if you looked at the polling on hide i don't know there i don't think there's been post dobbs polling but if you look you you'd think it was a a, a consensus democratic issue it's actually it's like 41 39 and a majority of base democratic constituencies oppose the federal funding of abortion and yet somehow this is this is on the platform uh, the base opposes uh, a federal, federal funding, funding of abortion, abortion. that's okay constituencies on the base uh uh it, it, look in 2016 uh uh so barack obama in 2008 in the presidential debate when he was asked about abortion his answer was i want to 
seek a reduction in abortions. I think abortion is a moral tragedy. When Biden Hillary, could never when, say that now, when though. Hillary, when yeah. he did, he did oh, up until twenty nineteen. But right now, he I don't think he'd be able to say that or would want to even take. Well, a chance. I, I think he'd be in a much stronger position if he did. But I, th- I think the, he I probably, think the but I don't think he thinks that he can. Exactly. I, I think he doesn't. He might think be wrong politics. about that calculation. I, I totally take your point that he may be wrong about that. Yeah. 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 Well, I, th- I think there would be elements of the party that would that would that would uh, threaten to take midterm funding away and that kind of thing. But when uh, in 2016, in the debate, similar question is asked. Uh, Hillary Clinton does not say, I'm proud that I was part of an administration that saw a reduction in the abortion rate. I want to see that continue. Instead, she gave an extensive, uh, interesting, but extensive defense of late-term abortion. Wait, that, really? Yeah, late, late-term? That's, that's right. And she made, I mean, it's a... If you're interested in academic study, if you're interested in like a, 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 a dorm room sort of discourse, or if you're in the movement, you're, if you're in the pro-choice movement, it was a big moment for, for uh, finally on the national stage. Uh, uh, um, I'll tell you what happened as someone who's been in democratic politics for a long time. Uh, 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 it was used to equalize the morality debate with perhaps the most immoral candidate that we have ever seen run for office before. Which is the the immediate answer? Anytime someone said Donald Trump, he look what he said about women. Look what he well, Hillary Clinton wants abortion up until birth. And now, is that, debate, what, was that really? Debate. I just want to be clear. Was that actually her position? Up and I mean, not she, up until birth. I don't she, think she, she, uh, she. The the question. I mean, get, I mean, feel free to share the transcript. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay. The, the the question uh, was. Uh, around uh so uh, d- i believe she was responding to donald trump uh it was a question on abortion i believe if i'm you know it was uh, yeah, yeah uh, a long but time ago donald yeah. trump uh said you, you know hillary wants to uh legalize abortion up until birth this is what he said at all the evangelical churches around the country all, all this kind of stuff he would say uh you know uh in iraq they're cutting christians off at the head democrats want to want abortion up until birth and instead of responding with the language again that carter you uh, that carter went on that clinton one that bill clinton went on uh that obama went on uh clinton gave again a principled uh, i mean very similar which is the the, the the case she made was that women who are making decisions this late in their pregnancy are doing it for very uh very difficult situations uh, th- th- if she felt like she had to defend late-term abortion in a second presidential debate against a man who she said was a threat to democracy and he was fine uh, but she didn't say the things that she had said her entire political gr- career she gave a speech when she was in the u.s senate in new york to a pro-choice nurses conference uh saying uh, uh calling for a reduction in abortions and expressing openness to ways to address that and instead again she, she didn't she didn't extend any olive branch rhetorically or policy-wise, and she lost that same election in October, just weeks before the election in Pennsylvania. Well, the pivotal election between Pat Toomey and Katie McGinty, a vote that would turn out to be significant in what the Senate was able to get done throughout Trump's presidency. Uh, Katie McGinty is barnstorming the country with 
with Elise Hoag of NARAL just weeks before the election doing victory laps about how they were going to expand abortion rights in a state that had elected Bob Casey, who up until five minutes ago was pro-life. Uh, Katie McGinty obviously lost that election. So uh, just politically, uh, I, I want to say, I, 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 uh, and then just the last piece I'll say on this is when we look at uh, the uh, every single election, uh, our party's most trusted Hispanic vote uh, advisors. They won't say it's a year before the election because they need to get funding. But every year I hear from them personally and they say publicly, abortion is killing us. We don't have an answer to give. Our voters aren't taking it. And then after the election, we wonder, we wonder why we're losing in South Texas. We wonder why Nevada is not turning out as well as it should. So I, I want to contest the pro-choice movement uh, starting in 2014 said that they were going to pursue a new aggressive strategy to no longer allow any expression of hesitancy or nuance among democratic elected leaders and they were effective in imposing that strategy yes it maybe it's a victory that we no longer maybe it's a victory for them that pro-life democrats districts are now uh, uh are now uh uh represented by pro-life republicans maybe that's maybe that's part of the strategy um but uh do, do democrats want to lose in 2024 to donald trump because he's able to equalize or ron DeSantis because he's able to equalize uh on this question and i i would say on a pro-choice basis uh, the pro-choice advocacy community has been harming the very people politically, harming the, the interests of the very people that they claim to be uh, 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 raising money for and uh, asking for $6. I'm glad you laid that out. Uh, we're almost out of time. Jane, any final words of wisdom? I mean, I would just say that the, the challenge here is that you would be going up. I, I'm interested. There's been some reporting that Donald Trump is a little nervous. I mean, it's it, any reporting on Donald Trump makes me sound like I'm, I'm like doing like court reporting <laughs> from the court of like the Sun King or something. <laughs> Because all of this is like someone went to Mar-a-Lago and heard something doing something, but like that he's kind of nervous about this because he, I mean, who knows how Donald Trump personally feels about literally anything, but on Roe, I think he recognizes that this could be a potentially sticky issue. But I think that, you know, what you have is that you had people who are, I think that there isn't a desire for people who are supportive of abortion rights to be supportive of abortion rights, to not be like, you know, we will permit you all of these restrictions, just please don't take away this particular right, when that was still taking place. And I think that the ongoing story of restrictions on abortions that were happening long before Dobbs even was a, a twinkle in the eye of a Mississippi attorney general, I think that like that has been part of the story in which you have seen people who were like, these rights are being restricted and you do not general people generally do not respond to the restriction of what they believe to be rights by saying like cool let's just moderate on this i think that's just not what happened and i think that yes like you are going to see shifts among democrats in this but i also think again that you know if you can say that democrats are extremists on this the implication is that you are not but if you are the people who are saying like no exceptions or if you basically need to kind of 
you know, tap dance your way out of conversations about what your laws and bills actually mean, especially when we will see what those laws and bills actually mean when that legislation, when, you know, when the rubber meets the road and when a local sheriff charges a woman with murder for having an abortion through medication she received through the mail, like, I think that a lot of these, again, Roe acted as a moot and we, we had on this conversation and maximalism is extraordinarily tempting, but it is a privilege that Republicans have lost on this, this issue. And I think that, you know, one of the things also is that what I see, you know, what you pointing out, just talking about how Hillary Clinton's answer was about like, these are very important decision discussions to be having between a with between a woman and a doctor i think that that is in many ways it's complicated so i was i was about to say like that's how many people feel but it's also not how many people vote particularly if they vote on these particular issues i don't think hillary clinton lost the 2016 election over the issue of abortion i think that a bunch of other stuff happened and um once again when you put two unpopular people together and throw in a bunch of nonsense who knows what'll come out of that but i do think that the challenge here is that like if you are supportive of abortion rights it is challenging for you to say that i'm I'm supportive of abortion rights but 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 even if that's how many democrats and many americans feel and if you are opposed to abortion it is extraordinarily difficult to you say that like well it's less abortiony at this time or at this date or at these moments because you will always have a flank that is saying like it's murder it's murder it's murder it's murder and so i think that this is a it's a challenging time politically but moreover it's a challenging time on this particular issue as it has been for the past you know half century that people have been arguing about this on the specific you know it's a challenging time period yeah. on this on that just, note yeah. um, <laughs> no just one final comment which is um i th i think again like just to, um the the odds that sort of entrenched uh battles that are mostly in the executive and the judiciary with maybe some sort of filibuster busting uh uh, uh, laws that are passed and then potentially reversed within two, four years. Uh, I do think that's the likely trajectory. I do, I do just want to say, um, uh, what a tremendously constraining, suffocating thing it's been for the American electorate and, and will be to have so much of our politics dictated by this issue there are there are so many legitimately uh uh uh, uh f folks who have reservations about abortion who would love to support democrats on climate change or support them on immigration or support them on uh health care who just uh and I, I knocked on their doors in 2008. <laughs> I, 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 I've talked to these voters. I've worked with them. Uh, and sometimes they're able to be persuaded and sometimes not. The more that this issue, uh, yeah, both parties say, elect us or this issue is going to go the opposite of the way that you want it to go, um, it really confines and, and messes with uh, our, the way our democracy functions. It was always a big frustration for me to see pro-life americans talk about the supreme court as if the only thing judges did was vote was was decide abortion cases and uh we're potentially going to see a politics that is even more like that where uh where, where folks are approaching politics looking at the uh at candidates position on this issue and so much else will happen under the cover of that and i, I think that's that's unfortunate
It is. Uh, I agree that it's unfortunate. I think we probably all do. And it's unfortunate <laughs> that we've run out of time as well. No, seriously, guys, this was uh, really terrific. Thanks, both of you, for coming and spending, gosh, almost two hours with us talking. Absolutely. Uh, Thank really, you. Really, really fun. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Bye. Thanks.